This is who you know, you know? And I'm Dmitry Samarov. Today I bring you uh, a long and uh, wide-ranging talk with uh, Tom Shannon of the band Cheater Slicks. Uh, it's a talk that goes kind of all over the map, and uh, I expect you'll enjoy it uh, at, least, at least half as much as I did. Here you go. If you take uh -huh. the cat, the talking yeah. cat out of it, it's it becomes mm -hmm. very sad and existential. <laughs> but this will not be that. <laughs> this will be the opposite. See, there's already well, it'll be there's... sad. It'll be it'll be yeah. sad and existential, but probably for other reasons. Yeah, but there will be laughing. So that's that's good. <laughs> there already is. <laughs> oh, How's your day so far? Oh, it's uh, not too bad. I have been doing, uh, of all things, food deliveries, which, ah. oh, you're well acquainted. You're well acquainted with uh, driving for endless hours. So Deliveries are various uh, kinds. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not ideal, but I'm, uh, I don't know if I'm in between jobs. I have no idea what a future job might be, but it's what I'm doing for money right now. Right. Like so for... I didn't actually work. I didn't actually work that hard today. Some days it's outrageous because I do all these deliveries and I don't make any money. And today mm. I didn't really do many deliveries at all and ended up with the daily total that I kind of usually have. So, Huh. Is it it's for all the apps, like for Uber Eats and stuff? or? Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes when I, I, when I fight it, it's like I've tried to – I've been doing this for quite some time now. Yeah. And it's like uh, I feel like there's some kind of a – a cosmic force to it it's like if you expect it to be something it never will be and then when you just don't care about it at all it ends up being just the same anyway and you know so why do i get so worked up about it i don't know if you ever had that uh when you were doing taxi driving i don't know if uh, see with the delivery thing it's kind of almost random you just sit there yeah. waiting for a yeah. ping you know? yeah i actually did uh I delivered Thai food for three years, but this is way before the app, uh, app times. And I, I only worked for one restaurant and, and they had their yeah. own car. They gave me a, they train, they actually taught me how to drive a stick shift. Cause this was a, it was a stick. It was a little Honda. I mean, it was yeah. the, it was the best delivery job ever. Uh, but so I did, I, for about three years, I was delivering Thai food all over, uh, Chicago. Uh, so you know, I, I have experience I, with that too. It's the randomness of that. The independence of it is fine with me right now. Mm -hmm. it, it's a little bit tedious at times. Yeah. And, uh, as you well know, but, uh, I just got to the point where I was in these jobs that were just, uh, I, I don't know. It's just, uh, I just felt like I wanted to be out on my own somehow, no matter what, because I feel like I'm on my own through this covid thing yeah uh and to be beholden to people's opinions of me right now mm. is almost more than i can bear <laughs> so do you feel like that even at, like at the record store although i mean you were at the record store a long long time oh the record store had so many elements of <laughs> weirdness yeah. uh interesting things so complicated yeah. uh, to get into that whole scenario and as you say i was there at use kids for 23 years 
Wow. Uh, so and so many, and I, of course, I was involved in music before that. I worked at Rounder yeah. Records for yeah. six years in Boston. I worked at a record store in Boston, and uh, you had your own had record, my own store. record store. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, Carmi Records. Yeah. yeah. And so my my past in the record business was long. Yeah. Uh, I don't particularly miss it per yeah. se, especially since the last ten years I was doing eBay. Yeah, right. I certainly don't. I don't miss that. Yeah. Well, I do miss seeing the endless streams of records coming in, <laughs> and especially the forty. The forty fives were my real passion. Oh really? Okay. Oh yeah. You know who's who's back? Who I just saw in? I was on the East Coast. I was in, and I stopped in New York, and I, I saw Mick Collins, and he's back working in a record store. He's buying records. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so I got to hang out and chat with him for a while until his boss came and kind of like, you know, you got the stink eye. Gave, was, gave was, you the eye. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. No, it was fine though. But I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I knew that Mick ever worked at a record store uh, in his past, but uh, I'm not sure that we ever talked about it. Yeah. I, I know he's worked at a few, I mean, not nearly as long as you, but uh, I know he's worked at some, uh, and then, I mean, he's been DJing a lot, so he's definitely very involved. Oh, he definitely has yeah. vast knowledge, for yeah. sure. But, yeah, he, yeah, it's it, it's interesting to talk to him, I mean, for, for a lot of reasons. But uh, he told me a thing, we, were, we just got to talking about sort of the resurgence of cassettes, you know? How in the uh -huh. last 10, 15 years, like all these punk bands put out cassettes. And, uh, the, yeah. you know, because they're so cheap to dub, but he told me that one of the reasons was that the patent ran out, the Phillips patent ran out and that made it all cheaper. I don't know how that works exactly business wise. And, hmm. uh, you mean for the production of the cassettes yeah. themselves? I, something oh, like okay. that. Yeah. That's not a thing of that. I, I have not heard, heard that. Yeah. That's but, what he I says. I mean, cassettes yeah. in general yeah. were always cheap to, yeah. uh, for bands to put out yeah. um my problem with the cassette thing right now is it's f hard to find a good cassette player uh that will work uh consistently yeah um so it's kind of hard to but that's really not that much of an issue if you put your mind to it you can get it fixed and so forth but i just find that whatever cassette player i have the yeah. belts are bad or just doesn't seem yeah to they work break well. down pretty easy uh yeah i avoided uh, repurchasing a cassette player for years and years. I only kept my cassettes that I dubbed off the radio or, you know, copied LPs because I did that my whole childhood growing up was, you know, buying records, dubbing them, selling them back, buying new ones. It was an yeah. endless cycle. But uh, I, I kept them sort of as a souvenir. Like I have a stack of them, you know, it's like a sculpture. Well, I'm imagining <laughs> that you made a lot of, you made a lot of mixtapes as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the ones I kept, uh, I, I winnowed, winnowed down the collection of cassettes to uh, either mixtapes or ones that like meant something or s that somebody gave me or like that they mm. I actually decorated with either lettering or artwork that looks pretty good still. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it's as close to a diary as I have. I never kept a diary as a kid, you know, <laughs> but these cassettes oh, yeah, are, are that for sure. <laughs> They're just amazing. They are. Uh, but I always was yeah. uh, uh, kind of uh, could get into the spell of a mixtape. Yeah, I loved making them. Yeah, but yeah. So like more recently, I've 
uh, there's some friend, musician friends here, some of them that are, you know, completely in love with all kinds of analog technology. And they're like, there's a guy that's recording stuff on cassette and it's not available on it. He records it on analog technology and will only put it out on cassette. Uh-huh. So it doesn't touch digital at any point, you know? <laughs> And, yeah, and I mean, that... there's definitely there's definitely a movement uh, for certain people to do that type of thing. We tend to <laughs> mix all different formats, yeah. uh, even on the records that we're making. Like, yeah. I don't know if you realize that our record, Walk Into the Sea, was recorded on cassette. Oh, really? I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, it was recorded on a on a Tascam, and then uh, we dumped it onto a computer, did yeah. some overdubs, and mixed it on the computer. But the basic, yeah. I would say, eighty five percent of the recorded material on that record was done on a cassette deck. Huh. And that was in the uh, early two thousands. Right. Yeah. Way, you know, way after. Uh, it was done because we thought it would sound cool, and it ended up out coming coming out pretty well. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that the, this this guy I was talking about, you know, he put they put out this cassette, and the only way to listen to it would be on a cassette player. So I finally looked around eBay for a used, you know, tape deck. Had to go through two because there's all this garbage on there. Like somebody sent me one that didn't work, and they sure, didn't. It's eBay. Well, but once I told them, they didn't even want it back. It's just like a crapshoot. Like they just send garbage well, out. They don't want to pay for the shipping. Right? Yeah, it's not worth it. <laughs> but the second right. one, yeah. So I got a, a like a pretty cheap Onkyo double cassette. You know, it works. I, I don't know how good it is, how long it'll work, but it works. You know. <laughs> I got one because I have a whole bunch of cassettes, and I actually had an excellent techniques. Uh, uh, double deck that was my dad's that worked for years flawlessly yeah. but the belts are bad on it but so yeah. i went out and i bought this other one much like you did and it worked for like one day didn't sound particularly good and then it just yeah. stopped working yeah so i was like ah you know and i'm really into vintage audio i mean yeah. i've got a tube sure. system yeah, i'm of into course. old stuff of course <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'd be sure i have a lot of tolerance i have a lot of tolerance for equipment breaking down yeah yeah <laughs> But this just went beyond anything that I could get excited about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, you need to like have whatever what some percentage of failure that's all right. But like if it's total failure, it's not it's no fun anymore. <laughs> yeah. Then it's just a a piece of you know metal and well even with the even with the vintage <laughs> stuff that I was really obsessed with for about yeah. ten years, I've, I've I'm completely past that obsession i have a system that works well and i'm like no i don't care about this anymore yeah i mean periodically i just want to listen to my music yes exactly i don't want to think about the technology (laughs) yeah i mean i'm amazed by yeah some of the like the the amounts of money some of this shit costs like those those crazy tube you know like things i don't i'm not i'm not coming anywhere near it because i'll get sucked in and i don't want to and like like you it just said it is a magic yeah it's a magic and it's yeah. wonderful yeah <laughs> but it's it's a heartache too <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so how did uh like how did you how did you end up in boston like even before the band like what brought you to boston of all places <laughs> uh 
Uh, you're probably the first person that's ever asked that. Uh, really? It was, what, yeah. Yeah. It, what happened was I had a friend in high school uh, and he was friends with some other people that were in my high school that I was acquaintance with, but I wasn't particularly, you know, on close terms with them. Yeah. And we became more friendly when we got into college and yeah. would share summer breaks and so forth together. And he was really into music and yeah. I had become really into music. <clears throat> and so when I graduated, strangely enough, I thought I was going to be moving to Chicago mm. and I went out there for a summer. Cause you grew uh, up in, with... in Ohio, right? I or... did. Yeah. No, 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 no. I grew up in Connecticut. I grew up in Connecticut. Oh, you did. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a little town called Ashford, Connecticut. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So the Chicago thing didn't work out and I ended up, uh, back at my parents' house, this was 1984 slash five. Okay. Um, and then my friend moved to Boston with mm. this group of people that I was acquaintance with in high school, and they had a basement apartment in Alston, yeah, which was outrageously expensive in 1985. It was yeah. $1,100, <laughs> but we cramped. We crammed like nine people in there. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and that is how I got to Boston. <laughs> so you moved there to, to, to hang with, with your friend and play music, basically? or I was really wanting to get into music. I didn't really play at that time. I had been in a band in college, extremely rudimentary garage band, mm -hmm. and it kind of whetted my appetite for knowing that I wanted to do more of that, I wrote some tunes in that band and I was actually kind of amazed that I seemed to have somewhat of a natural facility mm -hmm. to be able to write songs. I had never written songs before, yeah. never even tried. Uh, and so it was in the back of my mind that I thought maybe I could do it, you know? Yeah. I didn't have anybody to play with. Yeah. Uh, and the type of music that I was into, which is basically the type of music that I've been playing ever since, was a very specific type. Yeah. And there aren't many people who want to play that kind of music, quite honestly. Yeah. And quite honestly, that kind of music didn't even really exist at that time. It was yeah. kind of a figment of my imagination. Right. So what... It was kind of in my... It was in my head, you know, <laughs> yeah. more than it actually existed. What was the name so, of the college band? Uh, the remember? Fishers. The Fishers. The Fishers. Okay. Yeah, we had a, a, a African American uh, female singer. Hmm. We had a Japanese drummer. Uh, we had my friend uh, Russell who played keyboards. We had a bass player, and I was a rhythm guitarist. Oh, okay. And uh, I actually have recordings of it, except they keep disappearing mysteriously. Either <laughs> a computer that they're is failed or whatever, but. Uh, yeah. I, I'm meaning to dig them up, and they never really end up. I they resurface and then they disappear again. But yeah, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. And um. But I kind of. After college, I really. Uh, I wouldn't say I lost my way, but I didn't know what what, what my way was going to be. Mm -hmm. I had absolutely no clue what. 
what I was going to be, what I was going to do. What I did you study? What did you study? Uh, English literature, yeah, and I was a yeah. very good student, and I yeah. got into some really good graduate schools, uh-huh. and I just I blew them off. I was like, I don't want to study other people's writing. I want to create something. Right. You know, it, it was really important to me to create something. Uh, that was just the way I felt at the time. And uh, I just didn't even answer the acceptance letters I just huh. went on. I just went on, yeah. Strangely, and said, "No, that's that's <laughs> not going to be my direction." So I went to Boston, and I lived kind of animalistically. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. It it was a strange time. So I couldn't find anybody to play with. So David was very much my brother was very yeah. much into the same type of music as me. Yeah. And he lived in New York City. Okay. What was he doing there? So I convinced, he was an artist. He was yeah. being an artist. But uh, he got tired of, I mean, I, I think he enjoyed it there. But yeah. he, I lured him to Boston <laughs> saying, hey, let's do music. And he seemed to really want to do music. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the two of us worked with my friend, uh, Nick, who was the guy that I was friends with mm -hmm. in high school. And, and we started playing not out live, just in yeah. a rehearsal space. Then Nick uh, didn't like the volume of the music and was having ear problems and stuff like that, so yeah. he bowed out. And then uh, through some complete serendipity, we ended up meeting Dana Hatch. Yeah. And that's and that was the beginning of Cheater Slicks, right? Or yeah. More we or less. Or... had this rehearsal. I had another friend from college, John Gage, who's mm -hmm. the brother of Bill Gage. Who we oh, the one that you recorded with, with. Yeah. Yeah. And Dana was playing with John uh -huh. in a band. And John said to us, you know, I think that I met up with John again in Boston when I moved there. I mm -hmm. saw him walking down the street one day. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, because John was my freshman roommate. Mm. And he said, I have a drummer that I think yeah. you could play with at least if you're working on songs and just so we got together with dana and like from the first moment we started playing together yeah. it was the cacophonous crazy thing that yeah uh, it's always been i mean it was instant it was instant. yeah that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was amazing was it always called cheater slicks the band or and where it did was. the cheater it slicks was. come yep. from where, where were you into you know, hot rods or like where did the name? No, I was into <laughs> records with with hot rods on them and uh, hot rod songs to a certain extent. Never fanatical about that. Yeah. And I just saw Cheater Slicks and I was like, oh, that's a that's a cool yeah. name, cool phrase, cool term, whatever. And uh, I think that would be a good band name. I've had my second thoughts about it through the years, whether yeah. it was actually, you know, a great name for us or not, but you know, you get a name and you stick with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and now it's annoying because there's cheater slicks culture and yeah. it's just been completely taken over and we don't have anything to do with that. We've never right. been like car fanatics or anything like that. I didn't think know? so. I didn't think so. I didn't think it was like an actual car thing. And yeah. Those people, those, uh, kind of much like like the you know the rockabilly people there's this like fascist streak to that stuff you know like absolutely it's su it's such a uniform and so so regimented well haven't yeah. i haven't i told you this story about the british band that took the name cheater slicks and the arguments that i got in with them about it 
I think so. I think so. <laughs> oh my God. It was crazy. It was exactly as you're describing. It was like they were, you know, it was just completely hostile you yeah. know, to us with complete disrespect for our band having been an entity for like at that point, 15 years with many records released. Yeah. They did that and, band uh, didn't come around till what, like 2000 or the 90. When did they? Yeah. Come? That yeah was later, somewhere right? in the yeah. early, early two yeah. thousands. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, you, you are, you're nothing about car culture. You're not, they were like, oh, it yeah. doesn't make yeah. a difference what we are. That band name is ours. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's bizarre, but, but yeah, it's sort of a, yeah, it's a scary, there was a thing here in Chicago for a while and bars would host these nights for, you know, these guys with the greasy hair and the women all had to wear poodle skirts and all that shit. And it was, it was creepy because it was a, it was sort of a cult, you know? Like, yeah, it's, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned this because in the uh, liner notes that I wrote to the reissue, that's eventually going to come out of uh, don't like you. It's a double LP mm. with a demo session that we did. Mm. And in the liner notes, I kind of explained that, you know, we chose the name and how it had nothing yeah. to do with the fashion of cars or rockabilly, or we liked rockabilly, but we didn't like anything about yeah. uh, the retro fashion thing or any of that. And in yeah. my mind, it's only gotten worse, yeah. you know, uh, over the years to become, as you're saying, I would equate it almost with like a white nationalism, which yeah. is strange to me because what's strange, I mean, America is extremely complex and uh, I wouldn't say that the people... Uh, back in the 50s were not uh you know i don't know what they were i know carl perkins was not racist at all yeah. but i wouldn't say that for every single person who played rockabilly yeah. but what my point is my point is that they were an amalgamation of black music and white music so even yeah. in that it was a revolutionary concept that should not be uh hijacked by people of you know a white nationalist uh, persuasion. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You'd hope so, but like, unfortunately, well, it's it's people, and they, they get into a, a fashion or a system, and there's, and those systems uh, are built on excluding people, you know, of one kind or another. <laughs> That's how yeah, they work. It's just, <laughs> it was deeply disturbing to me, and dealing with these people that had uh, hijacked our name. Mm -hmm. I then started uh, selling a lot of my rockabilly and stuff. It just gave me such a bad, exactly what you're saying, it gave me such a bad feeling that I was like, you know what, I, I, I'm finding myself having a hard time even listening to the original yeah. uh, iterations of, of this music, even though I've always been completely enamored with it. Yeah, that, it, that sucks when just, yeah, some asshole like ruins a thing for you that way. That That happens a lot. <laughs> not just in it rockabilly does. but in in other spheres and interests it happens you meet one guy or one one person that really like shits all over something by their behavior and it just it uh it ruins a lot of other stuff drags it down with it you know it's unfortunate <laughs> yeah i mean i our band we always made a a, a distinct point uh not to try to imitate uh uh, musical forms in a blatant manner if yeah. that makes any sense well yeah uh, yeah i mean but yeah it's a, it's kind of amazing well because you guys always did a lot of covers but the covers were never you know note for note faithful like you know they were rarely 
Exactly. I always felt bad about a review that was written about us somewhere. I think it was like uh, connected to Bump Magazine or something. And they said, well, these guys, I don't like them. They don't take 60s Garage seriously at all. Right. It was so much the the opposite. <clears throat> we, we worshipped 60s Garage. Yeah. What we didn't want to do was recreate it. We weren't making fun of it. We were yeah. absolutely not making fun of it. Never. Oh, the review thought that they were kind of like, Mocking, yeah. mocking the old yeah. music. Yeah, because we didn't treat it reverentially enough, and and that simply was not the case at all. No, I mean to me, like what you guys do, not always, but like it's sort of like the way, like you know, like when uh, John Coltrane did my favorite things, you know, he, he does, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't making like the music, the the faithful like co- cover of the music, the musical version, you know, of the source material. Like he took the theme and then like ran with you know, ran it into his own well, thing. Well, the, the he... weird thing is, is we would just play it the way we could and the yeah. way we heard it in our heads, and uh, that's basically just the bottom line of it. It was just uh, the way that we heard it and the limitations of our abilities and so forth to perform it. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you guys and 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 with those limitations, trying to actually make those a positive, you know, not saying. I mean, if we had faced the limitations of our playing, we probably just would have quit, you know. Right. But instead, we said, "Hey, <laughs> let's let's make this into a a positive." We know that we're crude musicians, but yeah, let's try to emphasize that. Yeah, I mean, I think the stubbornness is one of the hallmarks of that of your band. There's a kind of <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're That's getting... why uh, the the new record the new record is called Ill Fated Cusses and the, oh, the that... word cusses yeah the word cusses was so important to me because it implies all the things that we are yeah yeah and really the 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 the, the name applies to the characters within the record and <laughs> our, ourselves as a band you know <laughs> it's it's cool I've I've been listening to that thank you for sending me those those files it's 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 interesting, you know. There's stuff I recognize, and then there's newer, kind of wrinkles to it. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's there... definitely. I try to. Uh, we all try to change, and I I don't want to use the word progress. I don't know if that's the accurate word. But yeah. Ev- evolve, evolve. Yeah. Uh, with everything that we do, into something slightly different. There's 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 keys on this one, huh? Or an, an organ of some kind? There in some parts. Yeah, Dana yeah. Dana has taken up playing yeah. the keyboards. He's been doing right. that for a while. And Will filled in some stuff with keyboards. There's some synth on there. Yeah. Um, there's MIDI stuff. Uh, but we ended up using it with great discretion. At first I thought we would use more. Yeah. And then as we mixed we kind of Paired back, paired back, paired back, and used it yeah. mainly as a support tool yeah. rather than anything that's immediately uh, noticeable. No, it's cool. It, it actually took me a couple of listens to to catch it. You know, it's like, oh, that sound mm-hmm. that those aren't guitars, like you know, because it's pretty subtle. Uh, in yeah. Some part, yeah. What, what happened was when we were mixing it, ultimately, uh, Will and I mixed it together uh-huh. and. Ultimately, it would always come down to, at some point, I would be like, you know, we're a guitar band. The, yeah. the, the guitars have to be yeah. the loudest. It's just, that's sure. the way it is. It's just got to yeah. be that way. But yeah, the, uh, I mean, the one that, that really struck me as maybe, I don't know if you've done a thing like that before, was that one, the, a lichen, 
that uh-huh. that number with the kind of uh, the spoken word kind of kind of like a yeah. tone poem thing, you know? Right. Which is really well, interesting. Well, it's kind to... of similar to what we did on the Bill Gage record uh, yeah. a little bit. So, uh, and it's also maybe a little bit like you know something we did with uh, bats and the dead trees. Okay, uh, everything yeah. Everything that we do, I think, is a little bit traceable to something we've done before. But we try. I tried to uh, uh, constantly kind of keep uh, uh, shaping it into something, you know, different each time that yeah. I attempt something that's more abstract like that. No, it's it's cool, and yeah, I I, I appreciate that a lot. I. I personally, I would, I would totally be bored trying to, you know, redo and just do the same thing over and over again. I, I guess, I guess you have to be successful for that to be a pressure, but like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there, there needs to be a market pressure for like these bands that have to keep repeating things. It just seems well, you'd be so miserable. Though, even, a, <laughs> even a band like ours that exists on a very small cult level your your fans the 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 people that support you and love your music can it can exert a pressure at times for you to want to uh produce things that sound similar oh you, but you, you have to re- <laughs> you have to resist you have yeah. to resist that yeah you know so you, you get an email or like a letter saying that you you need to, to write another song like murder or something like 10 t- 10 more yeah, times yeah, or... i mean i <laughs> yeah i will get something like yeah. I mean, I don't get a lot of interaction with people that listen to our music, but uh, I think there is sometimes an expectation like, oh, I wish it would be like this, or I wish it would be like that. But you can't, uh, I don't (laughs) want to do that, you know? Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. Like, like they got to be just dead inside. I don't know. Like to repeat that way. I don't know. It just seems so boring. It wouldn't be fun to me. And in fact... (laughs) It would be, yeah, exactly as you're saying. It would be soul deadening because yeah. it would make me feel really. It would make me feel really bad about myself that I'm not evolving. Yeah, I'm not uh, pushing myself mm-hmm. hard enough to come up with new ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's interesting to yeah with the internet. You know, all the, all the old bands are now back together, and some one you know no band ever ends actually so you get you see the the one member or like somebody who's been around for a while and done other things and they're pressured to get back the their one popular band or whatever and it's a very weird thing to to watch and listen to well we also <laughs> uh we also had a bass player james arthur on this one too so that gave a little bit of a different feel to this record than we've had for a while because we hadn't really had a bass player on our studio. We would use bass occasionally that one yeah. of us would play. Yeah. But we didn't have a bass player per se on a recording for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was just in Boston. I was in Boston last week visiting my folks and uh, I, I had coffee with uh, Chris Brokaw, who I think may have played with you once or twice. I don't know. Oh, way, yeah, I know. Back. I knew Chris quite well back yeah. then. Yeah, and he's yeah he's a he's another interesting one to talk to who's involved in all kinds of music all the time, but yeah he's back. Oh, and... he's amazing. I yeah, mean, he's been yeah. doing it. Uh, he's like the uh, he's like a, the troubadour. He's all over the world. I haven't spoken to Chris in, in thirty years, but I see him on my uh, you know on the internet all the time doing stuff, and uh, it's very admirable. 
Yeah, he he's a good guy, and he's always. I mean, he's got so many different projects. Like you know, one of which made me think of because we were talking about you know like the old bands. Like you know, his band come. They're they're reissuing yeah. all the old records, so they they get invited to play these shows. You know, <laughs> so come plays these reunion shows, but then he goes back and does his solo stuff, or and he's in three other bands, and then he gets hired to yeah. be just a guitar player on on tours, like he was touring with the Lemonheads, like touring with all kinds of people, because he's a really good guitar player, you know. And then he's yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he teaches he teaches kids uh, guitar and drums like a lot. Like I think that started really started up a lot uh, during the pandemic, you know, when he couldn't play out. You know, but he's got all these kids. I just remember him as being a very mellow, uh, very uh, uh, good-hearted person. Yeah, yeah, and it's cool. Yeah, I've I've sort of gotten to know him in the last whatever, fifteen twenty years. But uh... and we played with Come uh, at least a couple times yeah. back in the day. Huh. So One when was in uh, Northampton. Yeah. So so when did Cheater Slicks officially start? What what year would that have been? Uh it would have been um uh nineteen eighty seven. Right, okay. Uh David and I started working on songs in nineteen eighty six with yeah. Nick and some of those songs became things that we did with Dana. Uh yeah. Dana we started playing with him in 87. Yeah. Uh, and then we had a lot of different people in and out of yeah. the band in the early days. I don't know when you first saw us. What like in I think 80 I think was. 88. It was it was it was the 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 present lineup. <laughs> no, then it would have to have been 89. Uh, late, yeah, 89, late 89. Because yeah. So I'll give you a, a quick rundown of it in 87 we were working with this uh, woman dina perlman on Mm -hmm. she was a bass player we had a female lead singer for about Mm -hmm. three or four months uh then we had a male singer Uh because we didn't know that we were going to sing we didn't know that we could sing yeah that lasted another few months and (laughs) then uh alan alan polino joined the band he worked at rounder with us and he uh started playing with us, uh, Dina, uh, we parted ways and, uh, he stayed in for about six months. Then he left because he was having personal issues. So then Gigi Allen had seen us play a yeah. show with Dina at Bunratty's mm-hmm. and he mentioned to Merle, who was yeah. not playing in a band at that time, Hey, you should hook up with those guys. They're a good band. Yeah. And so that is how Merle ended up playing with us and uh he stayed with us for about seven months or something like that we (laughs) recorded the record then he departed because he wanted to move to new york city and then at that point we're like let's just do it as a trio because we're going through all this stuff and we're not making any progress yeah you know we record something we can't use it the person's Mm. not in the band anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah so then it just became the three of us yeah, I don't think I. I mean, unless I'm misremembering, I don't think there was a bass player, and it was at at the Rat, uh, for sure. That's definitely where where I saw you first. 
but yeah, I, I can't. I am I can't guessing we played three or four shows at the Rat. I yeah. think it must have been the last one we played there because I know we played with Merle there, and I think we played with Alan once there. Yeah, okay. I know we did. Yeah, but it probably was uh, the last show we did there. I don't remember when it was. Yeah. <laughs> then yeah, saw you guys a bunch of times, but then yeah, there was the the first time I ever saw Mick play was you guys were playing on a bill with blacktop at the middle east yeah in the in yep. the 90s this is this is already when i was driving a cab so this would have been that was about 94 yeah yeah i came back in 93 to boston so 93 until the beginning of 97 is when i was mostly there not, that that would have been right uh before or maybe during don't like you period yeah right at that time I just saw. Uh, so yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. John go ahead. Spencer just played here uh, a couple months ago. Month, month, month ago. Yeah, I hadn't seen uh-huh. him. I hadn't seen him play in like twenty years. I think. I just oh got, wow! I just got curious because I heard an interview with him on some on some show on some podcast, and I then I looked it up. I was like, oh, he's coming through town. Just went check it out. He's got Bob Burt is playing in his band. He's playing like junk. Yeah. Junk percussion. I, I guess it's the first time they played together since Pussy Galore. So that's yeah, interesting. I think we've done two shows with uh, the Hitmakers. Yeah. One at, uh, here in Columbus, and then we played, I think, in, in Pittsburgh, mm. a show with them. Uh, and not the current lineup now. I didn't yeah. get out. I'm still not going out to shows, so yeah. uh, I did not uh, see them when they... Did they come here? I don't think they came to Columbus. Anyway, yeah, uh, he got COVID. Unfortunately, it was yeah, a, that was like a that was like a week tour. after they came to Chicago. I, I I caught the whole band and and Quasi, who was opening for them, who's that's the rest of the band at the on the tour, right? Uh, which is cool. It's cool. I someone someone posted uh, a poster of a Green Street Station. Oh yeah, show in Boston that we played the first time I ever met John, and that was. Mm. Uh, it was Boss Hog, Unsane, and Cheater Slicks. <laughs> yeah, I, and, I remember. Uh, I remember that, that place. Was, <laughs> that was where our that's where our uh, whole relationship started with him. He just didn't know anything about us and saw us play the show and loved it and yeah. started inviting us down to New York City and so forth. So we would play shows. I think we played one of the first Blues Explosion shows that oh, ever really? existed. Oh yeah, for sure. Because we started playing with him with, yeah. when he was in the Honeymoon Killers. Yeah. And Russell and Judah were in that band. Oh, okay. Backing up Jerry and Lisa. All right. So I knew him even before Blues Explosion, and he was playing with uh, the Gibson Brothers mm. for a certain period of time too. So I knew him uh, a little bit. I didn't know him at that period, but I met him right afterwards. But I saw him play with them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I saw. Uh, Blues Explosion a couple of times, but a little later, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, that was, uh, uh, we played so many shows with the Blues Explosion in the first couple of years of their existence, but then they got popular, and uh, yeah. we didn't really play with them much after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Uh, so so you, you keep in touch with him? You guys get along okay? I do. Oh, that's cool. Yes, that's absolutely, good. yeah. No, yeah, we've it, always been good friends. He's always been very good to us, and yeah. uh, uh, I enjoy uh, still talking with him and 
finding out what's going on in his life and so forth. Yeah, it's funny because, yeah, on the same interview that I, I heard him talk about, he he was talking about how he's, like, moved out of New York and he's moved, moved to Kingston, New York, where, like, a friend of mine lives. It's this little town uh, that I guess yeah. is now popular. Yeah, Peter Aaron lives there from Chrome Cranks. Oh, okay. Yeah, he lives up there. Lots of people live up there now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like I'll... a mass exodus from yeah. New York up to those types of areas. Understandably so. Yep. Yeah, I guess Troy, New York is like a big center for like, you know, like small presses and artsy types has become uh, for maybe a little bit younger. But and my, yeah, my friend who lives there, he's been there forever and he's saying how, how much more expensive it's become with this influx of new people. You yeah, know? absolutely. <laughs> That's how it always Definitely. happens, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of money to move up there and you're getting a lot of people that are uh, quite uh, well off yeah up there for sure yeah yeah i mean yeah it becomes yeah if you have a bunch of money and you can't take advantage of any of the stuff that new york has to offer like why would you live there you know like if you can't go to all the fancy restaurants and stuff you know yeah i think because they're closed yeah 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 yeah, i don't know i yeah i can at this point you know when, when i was younger you know my my folks wanted me to like you know if if i couldn't stay in boston to move to new york but like i can't imagine it now i don't i would just be a tourist and i can get through new york yeah. in a day or two i get i go see some art have a nice meal and i'm done you know i can walk around a little bit but there's no no i don't feel any kind of connection to the place really i don't know well when merle uh was leaving the band he was like hey you know you guys should move to new york i mean it, it would be much better and i i just never had any desire to take on New York, but, you know, I had a lot of anxiety, and uh, that was certainly not necessarily a good environment for me. Yeah, if you're an anxious person, no. <laughs> New York's not, not the place for you. <laughs> Boston was not really hard in that way, but was hard enough in other ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was a terrible place for me. I don't know. <laughs> I hate it. I, I it still was... do. <laughs> hate that city we just we just we couldn't get anybody to accept us there it didn't yeah. matter what we did towards the very end we started having a little bit of a following but for most of the time we were there it was just open scorn quite honestly uh yeah. heaped on us but uh, the thing i will say is that the radio stations played us and that was kind of weird because in general People didn't like us, but the people at the radio stations did. So we got a lot of exposure with radio play. No, I'm talking about college radio. Yeah, play. sure. Not 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 Casey Kasem, you mean? <laughs> no, nothing even slightly uh, commercial. But it was cool because we could drive into work and we'd have the radio playing and we could hear our songs on the radio. That was fun. Yeah. So so how did. Uh... What what made you choose uh, Columbus, or uh, how, when did that happen? Columbus happened in, we were touring a lot, a lot. I mean, we weren't touring a lot, but for us it was a lot, and yeah. only for a period of two years. We thought it was going to go on. Yeah. We thought we were going to have more of a touring. Uh, 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 we had a booking agent. We thought we were going to have more opportunities touring. Mm -hmm. We wanted a more central location. Yeah. Uh, and when we came out to Columbus, 
the scene here was awesome at that time. Yeah. It was just really cheap to live. Lots of musicians, lots of friendly people to hang out with, and uh, clubs to play. And uh, it was easy to be a musician. You didn't make any money, but that wasn't important to us. Yeah. And uh, it was just, it was great. And uh, so it was just so different from Boston, where it was so cold and no one ever let you into their lives at all. And right. uh, here, it was just uh, completely different. That's, of course, changed completely now here in Columbus. So it's not <laughs> like that at all anymore. Nope. But uh, no. Columbus has turned into but, Boston? <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but it just doesn't. And I, I have to say also that I'm quite removed from it because I don't live in Columbus anymore. I live in yeah. Delaware. Yeah. So I'm I'm 25 miles away. I don't even go to clubs anymore or anything. Uh-huh. But, uh, uh, it doesn't have the same feel to me that it used to have. And it's expensive now. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like... Uh, that, comparatively. Yeah. There's a lot of const- construction and stuff going on. Like the last time Sorry, I went... Just... Yeah, last time I went there uh, to see you guys, uh, I think it was the last time I went was when you, you were playing with uh, Lydia Lunch, I think. Or I don't know if uh-huh. I came back. I may have come back that another wasn't time too after. Long. That wasn't too long ago. But there was... I remember being struck... It was on that same that street that that club was was at Ace of Cups. There's yeah. all all this new stuff was going in, and it was all kind of like mini chains and stuff. Yeah. Of businesses. Yeah, generic yeah. looking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Apartment buildings and that type of thing. Right. Boxy stuff. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we had had uh, a lot of connections to Ohio in the years. My grandparents on both sides were from cincinnati okay so i spent david yeah. and i david and i spent a lot of time in ohio as children then i went to ohio wesleyan david went to kenyon in gambier mm. uh so that was another four years that we spent in ohio uh so it was an easy it was an easy fit for us i was kind of a midwesterner i grew up in a very small rural town in connecticut mm. so i was used to I wasn't a big city person per se anyway. You yeah. Know, so Columbus was big enough for me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, wh- what year was that uh, that you guys? That was 96. 96. And, and it was. Yeah. No... What we yeah. put out, uh, we put out Don't Like You. Yeah. Uh, then we went to Europe and did a tour. Mm-hmm. And then we came back, packed up. Uh, went uh, did an exploratory out to Columbus and found a place. Came back, packed up, and and left. Yeah, that was pretty much it. No great fanfare. Just kind of <laughs> packed they, up and left. <laughs> <laughs> they don't throw you a parade down down uh, Com Ave uh, on your way out. Or... No, not that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I moved back to Chicago for good in in the begin uh, in the spring of 97 so yeah pretty soon after you guys left I le- it was left getting you. so expensive in boston anyway it was just outrageous so it was like uh, i can't deal with this yeah anymore. i mean you may as well live in new york and be in a world-class city at least you know <laughs> like if that's what you want not to be in boston so everybody's the weird so thing is, is that we, <laughs> we moved out here and we never did much touring because the touring just fell through our <laughs> booking agent du- our, our booking agent dumped us and uh and uh we never got another one and uh the touring just went completely kaput we did do another european tour but and we did uh a few national things after that but uh 
not a whole lot. And then we just decided we were gonna we would stick to primarily songwriting and playing in Columbus and the uh, various cities around Columbus. We didn't do too much of the national touring. There's there's not a there's not a future as a Phil Spector for me anywhere down the line. <laughs> you know? Or a Steve that Albini might be a good or thing, whatever. Yeah. How has he turned out? Yeah. Or all right, Steve Albini then. Yeah, he's done better. <laughs> he's, he's, he's Fairly... Hasn't shot anyone yet. Not, not yet. No, no. It's it's just a he's got his insult comedian shtick, but I don't think it's it's for real. <laughs> you know. I haven't seen that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, so, so what's uh, is there is there any like are they telling you like when when this re- record might be out or is from what Mick says, like everything's just backed up for years with vinyl, especially. Yeah, I think that uh, the strategies are changing. So I talked to Larry yesterday about it in the red, and we are going to release it digital at first and yeah. with a CD right. release, limited CD release, just to get it out there. And it will be streaming, and it'll be CD, and then the vinyl will come afterwards and people can pre-order it and it will exist at some point. But to wait a year for yeah. a very small pressing of vinyl at our age yeah, doesn't make any sense at all. You know? Right, so yeah. I was like, please, let's just expedite this if we could, could possibly do that, you know? Yeah, that seems to be like what people are doing because just put it out in some format and then you can pre-order the LP and you get it whenever that is. <laughs> Which, which is down the line. If it were an ideal world and yeah. the vibe out, that would be awesome. We all love it, but it's just not worth it to wait and wait and wait and wait, you know? Yeah. 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 Apparently. All of it's digitally, all of it's digitally sourced anyway at this point. I mean, only the rarest of records doesn't have a digital master at this point, you know? Right. Yeah. So the yeah. purest part of it really doesn't come in to play. <laughs> The whole digital thing is, you know, absurd because I'm not a purist like that. And anyway, digital recording technology has advanced so much in the last few years that it's pretty much almost indiscernible from analog. So it's really not that much of an issue anymore. Yeah. Honestly. I love my LPs. Don't get me wrong. I love LPs. <laughs> Do you have the same? I was one of the people. I was one of the people <laughs> in the world. I would that kept vinyl alive. I know that sounds really pretentious, but uh, no, no, I believe you. <laughs> our record store in Boston was all vinyl when it was completely. In- no, when when vinyl was pretty much back dead. in the early nineties. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> and then I worked on the vinyl side of Use Kids, and it was like the even. It, it was like the running joke they were like work on the vinyl side no one even goes there and it was like uh you know i to me that was the only way to collect music uh was on vinyl but when band in this time period you just got to do what you can do to get the music out there these aren't normal t- it's not the time to be stick about uh format for sure yeah yeah i i agree and yeah i've never I've never really been a collector collector. I, I only keep the records I listen to. That's my policy, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've read your uh, posts where you're, you're a, a person that likes to pair and weed out at times. And uh, 
I do that too to a certain extent, not quite as drastically as you do, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's only so many physical objects we can in our whole lives. Yeah, uh, yeah. For me, I mean, yeah. I just I realized this a long time ago. It's just that, like, I don't, I don't, I don't covet the the objects really. I like records. I like the way they sound, and I like the artwork on them. But if I'm not listening to them, I take them back to the store and get store credit and get different ones. You know. You know, obviously, a band is always excited about their new record, but uh, then some reissues that have been long, long yeah. in the so i'm happy about uh having our our catalog has been out of print on vinyl for a long time yeah eventually when they do come out on vinyl once they're put into production which would probably be within a year mm -hmm. uh maybe some people who weren't able to get those records and the, the don't like you is an expand and we did some demos at the time we went but what i was saying it is um we had to do a demo recording to get the uh, the money to do the record for uh, in the red. I know it's a weird situation, but he had a a deal with Warner Brothers that uh, we had to submit a demo. So we did a demo of that record mm. uh, before we had the John Spencer session, and yeah. so it's a comp. We combine the demo with the John Spencer, and they're very different ends of the same record. Right. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh... So that that's all going to be on in the red, or that is that's yeah. a double LP, but it'll be available obviously uh, streaming as well. But that's a cool one because it's actually got uh, that demo session has never been released. No one did it, so uh, it's. I don't know if there's anybody who will listen to this that knows absolutely nothing about our band, but uh, that was known <laughs> as being our most raw, crazy. As John Spencer produced it, a vision of what he wanted to record it before that, that are much more, quote unquote, straightforward in 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 the recording technique and so forth. So so it's a cool tradition. Yeah. Uh, so are the, do you have any any plans to to play out at any time in the near future or no? I can't. Uh, my wife has lupus i cannot be on a stage with covid anywhere in an environment so mm. uh however long covid is around most likely i'm not playing live hmm well that's understandable so that could be yeah. quite some time yeah yeah who knows how long remnants of this thing will will stick around i don't know well people are getting sick right now at an alarming rate so i'm certainly not going on stage right now yeah yeah, I mean, so uh, my plan is to play live with David and Dana over at my brother's house uh, yeah. and uh, practice live, which we haven't been able to do, and at least get back to enjoying the band as something that we do as individuals together, you know? Right. But I don't want people spitting on me uh, in <laughs> conversations before and after all night, you know, uh, with yeah. COVID around. I can't have it. Yeah, no, that's 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 more than reasonable. <laughs> So that, that I don't even go out to restaurants or mm -hmm. anything and haven't been to a show in ages. And one of the things that was extremely uh, stressful for me working the museum job that I just had where I was working customer service was I had to be in the public all day. It was just completely ill-suited for my situation right now. Yeah. 
I had... with people all day who didn't want to wear their masks. Mm -hmm. What museum were you working at? Uh, the uh, uh, Ohio History Center in downtown Columbus. Oh, okay. It's the the main Ohio historical uh, museum. It's the central one. And I part-time job there uh, doing customer service and uh, primarily just working the counter. And uh, I had to work down in something called Ohio Village and again, counter selling tickets and that type of thing. But it was just was not feasible for me after a while with all the tension that I was feeling being in a public environment. <clears throat> so I'm not working there anymore. Yeah. How are, how are uh, David and Dana doing these days? They're doing well. Uh, yeah. David is uh, raising his son, Oliver, and does uh, renovation work uh, on houses. Dana is helping raise his family and uh, works at Bourbon Street at night uh, several times oh, okay. uh, during the week. And... Uh, yeah, they're doing well. That that's good. That's good to hear. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, when when I uh, connected up with you, I don't remember when that happened. It was later. I mean, I I think I was I must have been already in Chicago, uh, but uh, I don't know if it was through MySpace or like probably that era. Uh, I don't know when it was, uh, or when I realized that it was okay to like talk to people that were in bands i don't know it happened later in life for me I, you know that there were like just people you could talk to um, are you talking about the time that we stayed with you there no no earlier i mean uh we we'd gotten in touch somehow on the internet you and i i i don't know when that yeah. was though it was a while ago well um, i didn't even have a computer i didn't even have a computer until 2005 so yeah well yeah i i I didn't until late 2003, and it was because I married a, a computer programmer, and she forced me into the digital age, you know? <laughs> yeah, I remember I got mine because I was working with Will on uh, Walk Into the Sea, uh -huh. and I couldn't he couldn't share anything with me. I was like, I don't have a computer. He's like, And he's like, well, I've got an extra one, yeah. you know, just sitting around. You can have it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the fucked up thing about that, like when I got introduced to computers, you know, so Deborah, my ex-wife, you know, taught me how to turn on the computer and we like imported all my music like off CDs or whatever into the computer and I sold all of it. And like that was the one short, short window when I like I got rid of records, I got rid of everything. Cause like I thought wow. we were going to be like together forever or something. And that, that thing ended like within a year and all my music was gone. <laughs> oh, I had to rebuild, geez. you know, except for the, the mixtapes, the mixtapes were remained, but that's all I had. <laughs> wow. Well, working at the record store during that time period, I know that you're not the only one that, People, once uh, you were able to burn things to a computer, people yeah. were selling LPs and CDs and droves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I, I got in touch with you somewhere. I don't remember when it was exactly. And then I drove 
my taxi to Columbus to see you guys play at Bourbon Street. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just a That's rent. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I know. I, I, I sort of like. And I, that was the first time that we met. I think so. I think oh, yeah. so. Uh, which would be, yeah, like in maybe like 06, 07, somewhere in there. I don't know. You came to our anniversary show. It wasn't that, was it? Yeah, so it was, be- so it was before. Uh, it was before your, your anniversary was in 07. I know, yeah. Right, right. The 30th one. Yeah. No, uh, no I, that wasn't th- that no? wasn't 30th. But it, no, it was 25th, I think. 25th. No, it wasn't even that. No, it was no. our 20th. 20th, yeah. So I'm yeah, bad now at math. 35 bad. years. Yeah. <laughs> bad at math. Uh, <laughs> My dad would be so ashamed. My dad's a mathematician. <laughs> but my worst subject always. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So I'd come, yeah, I'd, I'd come out before that, before that anniversary show, whatever year anniversary it was. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's... definitely. We def we definitely did not know each other in Boston. That no, I am sure no, no. Of. Uh, definitely not. Uh, but it's interesting because we had such small crowds at our shows that I probably saw you because yeah. there was literally, you know better than anyone, that there was maybe eight people at a lot of those shows. Yeah. And, yeah, I'd, I'd been introduced. We drove out, we drove out, <laughs> you know, uh, probably six of those. So it would, be about, it would be about two by the end of the show. Yeah. We could clear a room faster than any band I've ever seen. I know. Uh, I, I was I was always very impressed by that. But then later, at some point, it, it, it switched, <laughs> where like people weren't leaving. It was later. Uh, later, uh, yeah. There was crowds that were like instead of like backing up, they were like edging forward. Like, and I noticed that at some that point. That was the was last like... year in Boston. <laughs> yeah. That, that that happened in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> came out to Columbus and man when we hit the road we would we would clear crowds too with people didn't have any idea of what we were or where we were coming from and man we could we could definitely play to an empty house by the end of a show on some of the road trips we took <laughs> well it's good to have some of the you could to... hear a you could hear a knee drop <laughs> it's good to have something to be a proud of drop. yeah <laughs> That does not happen to us and hasn't happened to us for quite some time, quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you, you definitely have, uh, you know, like as we were talking before, a, a devoted a devoted fan base. I don't know what, what size it is, but, like, there is one. Like, yeah, it's small enough that it's difficult for us to tour because yeah. we just don't uh, have the ability to, uh, you know, uh, command much of a, uh, a guarantee anywhere. Right. But, you know, at least we have our music has, you know, appealed to a certain number of people around the world one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah it's, you know, <laughs> I'm 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 definitely one of them. <laughs> I mean, it's a fair it's a fairly extreme thing as well, not only extreme but also uh, an element of abstraction that I think some people have a hard time wrapping their head around yeah i never understood that thing with yeah the you know sort of big you know 
whatever super fans or whatever that they go to shows and they want something reproduced from their past like they want to be taken to some uh, a place they were before like where the music is played the well, same well one of the cool you know, things you know? about one of the cool things about our band is that uh, David is so highly improvisational that we just rarely had two that sounded identical, you know? that We never had a show, two shows that sounded identical, but yeah. it, was, it would be hard for us to even, you know, become consistent, you know, to present something like a lot of do night after night. We always, but to me, that was a strength of the band, not a weakness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, if... Yeah, I, I don't, I, you know, there's there's some bands that I've liked that, you know, will play a very similar set. They play the same thing, you know, and then I, I, I start to lose interest, you know. The thing is, like, if, if, if I would go out on tour with a band, playing with a band, you know, that we were sharing a bill with, you know, after nights or something, it'd be like, I don't just don't know if I could do that every night, you know? Yeah. Uh, play the same way every night. To me, there has to be an element, even if we were a tr- there's still an element, something more interesting to that than, you know, recreating a, a, a formula every night. Yeah, it's a bizarre thing. Uh, also, I mean, that's what, you know, that's what a record is for. It's it's called a record because it's recording, you know, a time. Yeah, my yeah. opinion has all my opinion has always been, uh, the recording is one thing, the live completely different. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm uh, in a good band. I think that that's the way it should be, quite yeah. honestly. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I guess you could you could hire some like other musicians to reproduce your records or something. They could be trained like like chamber music, you know, to to write out charts and and make a note for note copy. But get somebody else well, to do that. Well, on the flip side. <laughs> On the flip side, what's weird about our band is no one can play like us. Yeah. So you can't do a copy of a Cheater Slick song. You do it. I've heard bands try to do it, and I'm not trying to yeah. uh, blow myself up as some genius or something, but you cannot copy our sound. It's not doable. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I challenge anybody to do it. <laughs> Throw down the gauntlet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There, there, there will be because some. There will be some kids tra- in Japan somewhere that will do it. <laughs> they will work for a decade, and they will, they will find the formula. <laughs> we are untrained musicians who play the way we do because that's the only way we could ever figure out how to play. You know, and it's just that's what makes it like identifiable as what it is. David and I really know, and Dana, we know hardly anything about music uh, how to play music tech no very little so it's all by ear and of course we don't tune standard tuning i don't know what tuning it is it's just i pick something it's usually fairly consistent but it's not um uh, it's not uh, a traditional tuning so that makes it different well, yeah, that's that's what make you know. It's it's the three of you guys playing together at the same time that makes that whatever that is, right? And yeah, if we're out of tune, we bend the notes to get into tune with each other in a weird way that's not quite exactly right, but it works to us because we can hear it, you know. 
Uh, but it's also something that makes our music less understandable, I think, to the general public because they might not hear it in the same way we do. Just think it's really crap. Now. Well, they're uh, you know they're missing out, I think. But, <laughs> <laughs> and but... I and the volume, the volume was was my ears will uh, be. Uh, remind me of that every day right yes yeah <laughs> no no cheater slicks unplugged sets coming down the pike anytime soon huh <laughs> i don't know i would like to i don't think we'll play as we used to play because my ears can't uh but uh we could definitely tone down and we would still be a really weird band yeah and uh the recordings that we did for this record, we, we, we recorded at a fairly low volume, and they still sound massively loud. That's what studios are for. Yeah. You don't have to be loud. But that's in the studio. Now, live, I, like I use, you know, volume-wise. Mm -hmm. But it's not necessary. It's not necessary. Yeah. I could see something down the line if we're if we make it to 75 years old uh, us being old codgers and uh not necessarily acoustic but are you working oh on yeah a, yeah a I've, I've got one that's right pretty much done about sort of like my adventures in the art world quote unquote or like or my connection as peripheral as it is to the art world and like some of the fucking monsters involved in it uh so that that one yeah i'm I'm sort of right. i'm trying to i'd like somebody else to put the book out i've done three three and a half books all by myself just soup to nuts and it would be nice to have somebody it's just somebody it's with skin in the game it's just for the marketing and distribution part like i i won't give up creative control but i'm i'm not good at marketing i hate doing it i'm not going back on twitter or any of it you know what i mean i'm not fucking doing it, it i need to yeah. save my sanity oh, i know and, you know my whatever emotional equilibrium i have uh is <laughs> i know it's just so weird how you can you get sucked into it ends up being really feeling really negative and uh and you you beat yourself up for some reason over it yeah. i don't know why it is it's the nature of social media i've just started last couple weeks because i was feeling really isolated from people and i wasn't mm. getting any information from anybody but i just end up getting really kind of depressed when i yeah it's it's really bad it. uh i don't think it's yeah and i know these are age-old you know uh tropes that we're talking about but it, it's just weird because you think well whatever it's just twitter it's not going to affect me but then you get on there and you're just like oh i don't know no it's just, no it's I and like i don't this. know i feel like and then you know, I, I go down this 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 path and people start like they throw back the usual like, oh, you're a Luddite. Like, I'm not. I use fucking technology all the time. You know, I just pick and choose. And I think I have I should have that right. You know, so on uh, Twitter, looking at shit and I stop this and I'm going to I'm going to start reading a book because, you know, I just need to get a read a book you know and the books are absolutely satisfying you know uh they yep. they make your soul <laughs> feel better if, if it's a good if it's a good book 
And it always has the same effect. It's like, okay, I'm going to read a book. Yeah, that's kind of like killing time too. Yeah. No, it's not. It's completely different. <laughs> it really has a soul curing and mending effect, you know? Yeah, it, and yeah, book reading. rarely makes you feel like envious of the person on the other line and wanting you to have what they have, you know what I mean? The way that social media does. I started reading uh, Thomas Wolfe, Look Homeward Angel. I haven't, and no. I don't know if you've read that book or if you've read it recently. And God, I mean, uh, you're so wrapped up in the way a writer will write, at least I do. And then it's just like, uh, it just it's, a, it's magic. And then uh, just such a, a mm -hmm. wonderful, nothing can replace. No, I agree. Novel, that's for sure. Yeah. Not even movies. Movies, they don't even come close to me. Yeah, but, Not even yeah. Close. The in-depth the in of the perceptions, uh, you know, when you read, and uh, just so... As I get older, I think I appreciate it even more. It just, sometimes it just completely blows me away. You know, it really... No, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, then why are we wasting That's all of our question. time with all this other That's a good shit? It's our it's our need to try to connect with uh, what's going on at the present. Yeah, time. I mean, I think you know, I, I find sure. value in stuff like like you know, recording a long kind of rambling conversation like this. I think there's a value to it, and you know, it'll be up on whatever server, and somebody at some point could find it and get something out of it. Uh, but it's not it doesn't have that thing like where you have to keep refreshing the browser every second to see how much approval you got, like in the last five seconds or whatever. Like I've sort of completely given up on that, you know, that part of it. Yeah. I mean, at least with we're engaging in human interaction, you know, in a different way, yeah. this has some depth to it, you know, not no. on the internet or bad. I wouldn't, upon it gets the superficial uh you know social media we we've, we've all talked about this a million times but it's i'm amazed when i engage in it how it makes me feel and i think it's reflected in society obviously by the horrible things we have going on right now in this society it's obvious i mean it's doesn't it's just you know it's not even debatable it's just we're we're in a shit show right now. Yeah, there's yeah. no reason for it. <laughs> yeah, I just knew, knew personally. You know, I mean, like when I quit Twitter, it was in 2015. It was like I had a, a relationship end and a bunch of other stuff, sort of like reassessing, and I felt like like waking up from a bad dream. You know, just turning all that all the shit off. There's suddenly there's a lot more hours in the day. Yeah. Right. I mean, there are. Yeah. I mean, you can get th some things accomplished, and I mean, you can read a book. You can read a book that was written in 1913 or something. There's still a lot of really good value Absolutely. in that, you know, because human experience doesn't change that much. No. Over the years. No, it's just honestly. different delivery systems and different formats, and like we we're talking about with whatever vinyl or or streaming or whatever. The main thing is the music. It's not, it's not what package it came in, you know? 
but of course the relationship or relation is that I think our music has so much less depth and meaning mm. than it used to uh, because again because it's too easy to put it out there there's no editing process whatsoever mm. for most things put out there and then a lot of it's geared towards getting yeah. clicks and likes and that doesn't that that's not really what music is all about quite honestly yeah who knows yeah even in the underground even in the underground if there is an un, i don't see much evidence of it but even in the things that are you know bubbling under and are not of mass consumption first of all there's just way too much of it out yeah. there that you can't even weed through it but uh secondly it's just like slow down make something meaningful and uh you know, make it worthwhile, <laughs> no shit. please. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. The past few years, like I've just been involved in all the all the different projects and making a thing rather than having it be available everywhere. Have it only available like in one place. You know, that's what the thing with these books that I've been making is like. Yeah. You can only get them from me. You know, like there there's boxes of them sitting in my apartment, and that gets uh -huh. tiresome. But there is some sort of value to it, and some satisfaction but <laughs> i've come i'm coming to the end of that part of the satisfaction <laughs> i think that you've i think you've actually you know made a nice niche for yourself over i the hope years so what you've been uh, doing. <laughs> you know i mean i think that people you i read that thing where you had that well, one individual who reached out to you about yeah. uh, a review that you wrote you know and I think even if you can do that one thing, that's yeah. something that's real, you know. And uh, I, I think that you've been able to, uh, without uh, compromising yourself, been able to uh, reach an audience, you know. And some of that has been through your doing your blogs and so forth, which are, you know, definitely worth doing. I think that those are, you know, I don't equate those with social media. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that part the the newsletter kind of scratches whatever itch was is left over from the social my my time in the s social media salt mines you know <laughs> i get i get to get on my soapbox but yeah, and yeah and you know blather on about whatever is bothering me but at least there's i do edit those and it's once or twice a week and that's it you know it's not it's not 100 times a day you know mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like I want to do that, but then I end up not doing it. You know, I don't, I don't feel comfortable, uh, or maybe I don't have the confidence in, in, in I, I mean, none of, none of these, yeah. as a, as a, yeah. yeah, as a diary, yeah. not as a diary. I don't mean a diary and I don't mean to call yours a diary, but it, oh, it, for sure. it, it yeah. verges on that sometimes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's our, you know, and it, I think it's my old uh, New England uh, <laughs> reservedness that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can only go so far from wh wherever you're from, or you know, there's some parts of those will always remain. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to open up. I think a lot of times on 
I don't know. I try to do it in songs. And even there, you know, I usually write in more abstract terms than anything that's sure. uh, completely literal. Yeah, I've I've been, uh, you know, edging more and more in the last few years towards some kind of like, I don't know if it's openness exactly, but like sharing whatever personal feelings, which took me a long time to figure out formats to do, you know, in writing or in any in in visual art, too. I mean, there's usually some sort of like a remove or like a formal mm -hmm. thing that is a buffer, you know, between me and like revealing whatever. It's not that there's anything that exciting to reveal it's just like like you were saying like to be comfortable with sharing a certain way well i mean i'm uh uh i respect and am uh sometimes in awe of people that can connect to other people in a weird way you know that's like unique to them but i've never necessarily yeah been a person that can do that <laughs> You know, some people write something and people immediately are like, oh, my God, you know, and it's like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> How do they do that? I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I yeah, I, I can't even pretend to have an answer answers for how or like what 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 to do. And, and it's always I mean, for me, it's so indirect. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always in awe of, you know, like musicians and other people that perform that have they're on a stage like doing their thing in, in front of people to people that way. Whereas, you know, my stage is always like, a man. well, performing has always been kind of a, <laughs> performing's always been kind of a torture to me. I'm yeah. a, a shy person. Uh, I probably picked the wrong, uh, uh, way to express myself, but I love the music. It's funny. Cause my mom asked me this for the first time in like, the 40 years I've been playing music, she said, you are a shy person and you're very, you got a lot of social yeah. anxieties. Why did you choose <laughs> to get on stage and play music? And I said, yes, I said, it was a very strange thing for me to pursue, but I loved the music so much. It was always the music that was so important to me. My personality on stage was not necessarily important. I had to fight through my stage shyness you know and uh really yeah. really in the early years it was horrendous but uh and i've never been totally comfortable with it and david is very much yeah the same way yeah i, I could i could totally i could see that but like just even even if you're not comfortable to get up there and do that i don't know uh i've you know i've had to over the last whatever 10 years since i've been publishing book 10 11 years since i've been publishing books to get up on various stages now and then to read something or say something it's gotten a lot easier so hard, but i so also hard. don't ever i will never consider that like a thing that i look forward to or that i'll ever be actually good at uh it's it's not an aim you know yeah well, it was like i was in graduate school i was in graduate school in my mm -hmm. uh, library science uh, program and it was my first course there and i was really in a uh uh foreign uh circumstance for mm -hmm. me going back to school i was 50 years old and I, we had a class uh you know project where we had to speak in front of the class and here i am a person that yeah. plays on stage all the time has done it for years and years and i just like totally froze up couldn't think couldn't express myself i felt like huh. I was, 
no words made any sense. It's like, oh, Weird. come yeah. on. That's ridiculous, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Awful. Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, it's funny what'll uh, what'll what'll make you freeze up. It's uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, for me, it's kind of like mm-hmm. I I'm kind of a perfectionist, so I'm always feeling really like I'm defeating sure, myself yeah. before I even get started because I just my expect my expectations are too high for myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's the same way for music. It's like I used to just yeah. berate myself personally for the tiniest mistake I made on stage that absolutely no one would have ever noticed because yeah. first of all, we were so cacophonous who would even have noticed. But <laughs> in my mind, it was like, Oh Jesus, right. that was just the worst. Yeah, it's thing weird, but like you can't done. totally lose that because if you lose <laughs> that, then you'll you become complacent or you don't care anymore. You know what I mean? But you can't have it like you can't have absolutely. it. Uh, paralyzed I, I think you're right. Or you don't get anything done. So it's like riding that balance is like, that's sure. the trick. That's the hard thing. You know? <laughs> that's where the beer comes in, you know? That's where beer is. Is that what, cure. is that, that's what the beer is for? It gets you over that. Yeah. It gets you over that little line. Yeah. Yeah. Lose your inhibitions to a certain extent. You have to, I mean, I and once I would be playing, I would lose those yeah. inhibitions, and we played really wild shows for the most part. But you know, it was just getting into that trance and forgetting that you're playing in yeah. front of people and so forth. Huh. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I, I never. Yeah, I haven't spent enough time on stages to get that far. But uh, one thing that has happened during the whole lockdown thing is I've spent so much time recording my own voice, reading things, that I, I finally, I finally found. Like uh-huh. a cadence or a, or like a, a rhythm that's kind of comfortable, and but it took so long. That's funny that you said that because with the spoken word thing that I did on this new record, uh-huh. I never like listening to my my voice uh, yeah. recorded. Uh, yeah, uh, singing's different, but speaking it just always makes me really uncomfortable. And I was like, okay, I am going to do yeah. this a spoken word poem type thing and I'm going to do it. So I actually enjoy listening to it. And I did, I don't know how it happened. It was like, this does not bother me. I I did a pretty good job with this. So I was happy that, like you said, you gotta, you gotta take your little steps, you know, and you gotta, uh, be critical of yourself, but you gotta allow yourself that ability to try and have the confidence. that. Yeah. I actually have, I have a cassette coming out (laughs) like in the next few weeks, this, this kid, it's I actually he's not a kid he's he's in his I guess early forties I don't know how old he is I don't know how old any I don't know how I don't know how old anybody is they're all kids I don't even us. ask or or think about it but this guy in Kansas he lives on a farm and he he's a writer and he used to be in bands but he started a cassette like audio like you know stories and poems label so I recorded uh huh. See, that's what I mean. That's what I mean by you. Yeah. You've got your little niche. You've got and he's and he's super into that's like he bought thing. like all my books and he's all excited and uh, we, I contributed a couple of, couple of, readings for to like audio, like digital only things that he'd done and then we we decided to make a whole, whole cassette and it's like it's like forty five minutes and it's pieces from this forthcoming art art world book that's not out yet. 
and that that should be out pretty soon. It came out okay. I mean, like, I, I I'll never be thrilled with it, like whatever the sound of the voice or any of it. But did you do it? Yeah. Well, did you do it by yourself, or no, was no, he there all when by myself, it, just into the computer? Yeah. Uh, no, no, I'm just oh, okay. But he, I mean, he uh -huh. made me redo the like the. I think all of them several times at least. I kept sending him files and he wasn't happy with them, you know. Be but uh, and we got to a point mm -hmm. where I guess it was acceptable. <laughs> so. Well, uh, people underestimate how difficult it is to get recorded sound, whether it's uh, human voice or music, to be something yeah. presentable. It's it's difficult, and and to be, uh, it's really quite difficult. Yeah. You know, it it because you want it to be a li a little bit. You want it to stand out to a certain extent because it's you know for sure it's a presentation. You know. Sure, but yeah. The weird thing about the spoken the spoken word thing that I did that was weird was I had never timed mm -hmm. poetry before, never timed yeah. the rhythm or the cadence of it yeah. before. I love poetry; I read a lot of it. But even so, I think it's a uh, it's a yeah. very difficult form. Of yeah. course, we know that. I think it's the most difficult uh, of obviously of all yeah. written, but almost of all art. Period. It's just an extremely demanding thing. And even to know how to read it when mm -hmm. you're reading it on a page is difficult, you know, that you want to always stop. Yeah. You want you want to stop at the yeah. breaks and it's not supposed to be that way. And, you know, our brains, our brains want to function, make it function in a certain way. Yeah. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. Of course, poets know that because they're trained to do that. But we as, you know, regular individuals kind of have to force ourselves into that mindset, you know. So anyway... I started reading that thing. I had no freaking <laughs> idea how I was going to time that to the music. Yeah. And I just let my intuition roll and it hit. Even my yeah. brother said, and he knew nothing about the process about how that was recorded. He's like, I couldn't believe how that went exactly with what I played. I said, yeah. I said, we did it. And I said, that is yeah. done. I have no idea how that worked like that, but that cannot be touched because it hit David's breaks and everything yeah. perfectly with the meaning of the of the spoken word piece and it was just completely uh did so, uh, so you did it as he played it was a, it was a complete flute. no 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 okay i was gonna say no like no I, I did it I as an overdub yeah but but you got to realize with this recording process these songs are constructed yeah yeah I don't mean that negatively. Sure, yeah. They're not the way we yeah. usually do a record. We had to construct this. So I wasn't mm -hmm. overly familiar yeah. with David's parts on this piece, you know? So, but when it, it just came together, just like, whoa, I don't know how that happened, yeah. but you don't mess yeah, with that's it when cool. that happens. No, there's, I, I've, I've listened to those, to those songs, I don't know, six, seven times. And I'll listen to them some more, but there's definitely new, there's stuff to discover in there, which is so great for a band that's been around for a while, you know, to find new stuff. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's, a, I mean, that was what I, that was my intention yeah. with it. I, it's a yeah. different record. Oh, yeah. It's still us. It still sounds like us, but it's definitely different on a lot of different levels than things that we've done before. I'm proud of yeah. it. I think the songs are strong. That's cool. Yeah. Know? 
And I was glad Dana got to do his mm-hmm. types of songs, which are different from mine. Yeah. And always have been, but our, somehow our styles always mesh in a certain way, which is good. But we each got to accomplish what we like to do in our own music. And Dana was allowed to mm-hmm. extend by playing the keyboards. And he wrote the mm-hmm. progression yeah. for Nude Intruder, the first song, which is... So he had never really brought oh, wow. a song into the band before. So uh, I always write the basic structures of the songs uh and sure. then, but i don't take credit for writing the songs because we all do so much to them it's a group effort but the general seed of the idea for the uh-huh. songs has always been me and then dana brought in a song and that was cool i was like well let's do your i told him you know you're writing songs now Why that's don't you great bring some of them in yeah so that was good that's cool huh. well i you know, yeah say hope a million people Million people stream it or and whatever. Got, uh, we, <laughs> I don't know what any well, of it means, know. but you know. And we've got half. We've got half of a record recorded, uh, as I said earlier, and yeah. it's quite different too. So uh, it's cool. It's got some really uh, different stuff so far on it. So I'm thinking that our next one will be a really good companion piece to this one. It'll be. Uh, similar but it'll be different but it'll be more recognizable as kind of a uh a, a follow-up because it was supposed to be a it was supposed to be a double record but we just couldn't pull it together it just wasn't uh going anywhere at the moment and i wanted to get something out and i just pared it down to yeah. a single record and i'm glad i did because it's sometimes a double record's just yeah, too so, much so do, to do you know uh, do you guys decide yet when this will be uh when the first one will be out or you don't know yet uh it's gonna uh larry hasn't given me a release date but he has been encouraging in saying that it looks like it's a a six month time frame ish yeah maybe not for vinyl but definitely for digital and he's gonna do a small cd run so uh there will be a physical uh 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 manifestation of it that a person could buy the 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 lps are just taking too long right now so that will be the lp will be out probably yeah i would say eight months or nine months or something like that yeah Um, but at least we'll have the material out there for people to hear yeah it's been mastered it's ready to go i sent the artwork into him hasn't been laid out or anything i'll look forward to seeing that in whatever form it makes it out out into the world yeah, we have a uh, one of David's paintings. One of David's paintings as is it, as be it on always should again. be. <laughs> uh, yeah, so sometimes we weren't doing it because it was taking him a long time to come up with something. We just went back to his old catalog of paintings, of which he has many, and I said, "Let's just use one of your older paintings." I mean, it it, it was perfect. Great. You know? Because David's artwork has never been shown. He was doing so much great artwork. I really feel bad that he has not done mm. any artwork in, in quite some time. I'm yeah, it, it's hard to, it. especially when there's not, when there's not somebody out kind of like pushing you or like encouraging. If, if all it is is yourself, it's you generating stuff for your own reasons, uh, like keeping going is... It's a tough thing for sure. 
Well, yeah, and he works a right. physical he works a physical job, and he's raising his son, and it's just hard for him to have the time to set aside to. Uh, he gets so immersed when he does his painting that you know the world just kind of shuts off to him. I'm sure you're uh, you've had the similar yeah. uh, situation when you paint. It's just you put yourself yeah. In a I mean yeah. World, and, you know, I mean we all have to make make our choices. You know, I mean mine I guess was like then basically not you know not have any kind of traditional family or whatever any of these structures that most people for understandable reasons want and ha and need and have you know i mean i've had some relationships but like they all come mm -hmm. absolutely <laughs> they're, they're they always come second to this like this art problem that i've had my whole life you know Well, I mean, it, it's a cliche, but there's truth to it that pursuing art is a somewhat it's, selfish. It's not uh, somewhat. Uh, it's it's very it it's incredibly be, selfish. Know? I have I've been aware of that for a very long time. <laughs> well, you have to put yourself in that mode, and it would. It's just so difficult to share that. Yeah. In a it's life, not, yeah. You know? well, yeah. If you ever get involved with somebody else that does creative stuff and there, there then there's there's resentments and there's competition and there's all kinds of bad feelings that come <laughs> in my experience at least <laughs> i know and that's that's just so odd and then if you're with someone who isn't and they don't understand what it is to create that's yep. difficult also you know because creating is creating is difficult and it's a uh uh i don't know how to express it it's, well also it's they think it, people that times, don't you know? i think it's like punching the clock like you you go and you do x amount of work in x amount of time but that's not how it works you you get <laughs> well i've always been amazed i, I read these interviews with yeah. nick nick cave and he says yeah. well i go every day to a rehearsal space and i bang out eight hours yeah. and i was like what yeah, I, I I can't. I even guess there are people that, that do that. Yeah, yeah. My creativity, my creativity would dry yeah. up immediately. I think. I go. I write when the yeah. mood moves me, and only yeah. then. I hardly ever even play the guitar. Mm. Hardly ever. I haven't picked up a guitar in like six <laughs> or seven months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for me, it, yeah, it's helped to have a lot of different kinds of projects going all at once so that, like, if one thing's not going or I get in a rut, I just switch to something else. Uh, well, for these songs on this record, they all came in, like, a weird succession. Well, there was one reason for it. I finally yeah. didn't have to work. Mm. I was getting paid unemployment yeah. for COVID leave. So my mind just kind of relaxed and the creativity just kind yeah. of came flowing out. And the Bill, the Bill yeah. record helped yeah. a lot because we had to write for Bill and Bill had a restricted uh, yeah. palette, so to speak, yeah. although very powerful with what he did. But I had to learn mm -hmm. how to write songs in a different way. Uh, yeah. For people who don't know what we're talking about, we did a record with... Uh, bill yeah. gage who has down syndrome uh and has been singing for years but i wanted to you know we had yeah. to write to bring out his strengths 
And uh, so that really, uh, by doing that, it opened up different passages to me, and these songs just came pouring out. It was weird. Yeah. Now I'm back to like, uh, should I pick up a guitar? I'm a little bit scared. <laughs> Is anything going to be there? I have no idea. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. That's I've, the way yeah, it I've been, is, right? You know, one of the one of my big COVID vacation pro, new revelations or projects is uh, making collages, which just like been my main thing basically the last couple of years is is just yeah, recombined because I have that. all this crap yeah. old crap you know that means something and I've kept for some reason and now I want to make something new out of it and uh, and then I, I go back to painting now and then mm -hmm. but it's not the same uh yeah i i read that when you said that that you know no it different but that and might not it, be a bad thing you said you weren't even able to relate to some of your yeah old paintings but i'm that way with my music i mean i'm doing these yeah. reissues and i'm not trying to knock my own music by any means but i don't necessarily no, want to go no, back and, and listen uh, to yeah, that yeah it's kind of like we were talking about earlier about like these bands that have to go out and like or that reform and they have to do their greatest hits or what have you. And it's sad and it's boring. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, some of those old paintings are and drawings are okay, but I, I look at them and I don't kind, kind of don't even know who did it or how they, how it was done. And like my parents' house is filled with them. I mean, like they're, my parents are super, super supportive mm -hmm. and have been forever. But their house is yeah. like a, a Dimitri museum, and it's fucking creepy to me, you know. Like, and I have to, I have to not, I have to kind of like not <laughs> look at the walls very much in their house, because every fucking room is filled with my old crap, you know. Like that, and if I look at it too much, all I see is what's bad with it, you know. What I mean, what, what's wrong, and what I would change, and you know, if it wasn't hanging there, I would, I would put those pieces into the into the meat grinder and have them pop them back out in a different way at this point i have a painting <laughs> that i dragged back from their house that i did when i was in art school like it's over 30 years old now that i i've collaged shit onto and i'm going to put it up in the bar i have a show coming up next month so it's a collaboration with like you know the 20 year old dimitri you know 50 year old dimitri did a collaboration with 20 year old uh -huh. Dimitri and that was fun. Yeah. It's fun to like, to br try to yeah. breathe a little bit of life into like an old shitty old thing. I don't know. <laughs> I enjoy that. <laughs> and it's, it's, that's new yeah, and different absolutely. for me. But if I yeah, squint in I the, mean... at these collages, all the, all the, the way I compose a picture is all the fucking same. It's the same as the drawings. It's the same as the paintings, you know, even though there's, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah. we're wired. We're wired in yeah. a certain. We're wired in a certain. Yeah, there's way. some base. Yeah. I mean, there's certain mu there's certain musicians, and I will hear even if it's a cover song, I'll hear a chord progression, and I'll be like, "Oh, mm -hmm. that had to have been written by so and so," you know, because they have an internal wiring that makes their chord progression sound yeah. unlike anybody else's, you know, and uh, that's just I think the way our our creative minds. Are, are, I don't think there's no, no, that, that's the part that, that you can't honestly. change, you know, <laughs> like that. Yeah, you can't change it even if you, you wanted really to. <laughs> I don't know if you'd want to, some people do, but like the weird, yeah. I don't, 
I know that I have a certain palette and I don't want to change it. I, I like my palette. That's one thing I will say about, you know, my own work is that I like the tones yeah. and chords that I tend to be uh, attracted towards. And that probably would never change. If anything's like bright and cheery or something in a certain, it just, <laughs> it's false to me and I will reject it immediately. It'll, it'll never make it. Yeah. It has to have a certain so, sound. You know what I'm saying? Right. So you're not going to get rejected. Cheater Slicks Bubblegum Pop uh, album anytime soon. He did, no, yeah. I mean, but Mick he's such will a conceptualist. All, all those Dirt Bombs records, each one's like a different idea that he has. Oh, he's like a he sci- told me, he's like you a know scientist. He, yeah, yeah I mean, the, he's. Uh, he I love that guy. Him. He told me he's like in his spare time. He's been working. He's working on a new language. Like he's he's found wow. these patterns in all these like kind of European based romance lang- related languages, and he's working out his own own new language. I think it'd be awesome I, if he I did know. a record. I, he probably will if he hang, hangs in long enough. I love that, that one. Would just be incredible. That he did the one called Party Store. Have you heard that one? It's him. I remember it, but whether I know it very well, it's all at this Detroit point, techno. I do know but of like the record done I don't as know as I... a like dirt, but yeah. it's the dirt bombs. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, and then yeah, he did mm-hmm. that bubblegum yeah. pop one. Uh, yeah, Mick is yeah. endlessly creative, which is good. I mean, he finds ways to uh, change things around quite a bit. You know, he is always. Uh, working on ways to see things differently. And luckily they also have the Gories that they can go back to and they can. Right. uh, Yeah. Like, yeah. He was telling me, I was asking him, you know, what, what he's playing. I guess he's got some dirt bombs, things coming up, but he doesn't, he has to get a band together because who is that? It's the dirt bombs is whoever he can get to play, you know, like they're all over the place. California. Uh, but yeah, the Gories get, you know, invited to play festivals and stuff. And so he can do that. I I mean, I saw him play yeah, in Chicago definitely. at this, like, you know, uh, food good... truck fest uh, rally. I don't know what the fuck it even was. It was bizarre. But like the fact that that band was playing, it's very strange. I don't think the people. Well, they, they, they got a lot of recognition, uh, you know, uh, for sure. In the last 10 years or so. It's, but yeah, you know. Well, we were the we were one of the only bands, uh, along with the Gories, doing that type yeah. of music. We were not like the Gories, but you know what yeah. I'm saying. There were like very few bands, uh, doing that type of music at that time. It was Gibson Brothers, Gories, us. Uh, you know, it was yeah. just like barely any band for sure doing that type of thing. A lot of people don't realize that, and I don't. Eric Davidson's book tried to, you know, detail the movement to a certain extent, but it even he didn't go back. I don't think he he wasn't around then. He didn't know, didn't get the feel for just how uh, barren. What what it book was is this? I don't 80s, know the, the mid eighties, late eighties. Gunk punk. Gunk punk. <laughs> uh, we never learn. We never learn. Okay, you can look it up. It's called We ne- Never Learn. Is that did that come out? Eric Davidson. Oh, okay. Lead singer for a New Bomb Turks. I came out ten. 
came out 10 years ago oh. and he's just got a revised edition that's oh, coming out okay. right now expanded so he went through the uh late it's called night uh gunk punk 1988 to 2000 yeah. and something i don't know but so it yeah. starts it starts at the time that i'm talking about yep yeah. wait a second I'm there. my headphones just cut out again are you there okay yes so 1988 um you know, and that was the year basically that we started recording anything or whatever. But the Gibson brothers and the Gorys and you know, there were just there were just a few bands at that time. Uh, uh, now this movement is yeah. quite pervasive, quite honestly, uh, and has been for a long time. But it, there were really only, and we were all coming yeah. out of that cramps, sure. scientists, gun club. Which now they're iconic, but they certainly Cramps obviously were always a very popular band. But the other bands that we listened yeah. to were not Gun Club, Scientists. No one knew who yeah, they right. were. Be Suburban. No one cared. Uh, and those were the bands that were just like sure. the holy grail for us, you know. Yeah, I mean, that was early. Yeah. 80s. That was early eighties. You know that those were the bands that got us fired up and wanted us to continue that tradition of yeah. music at that time you know uh and then we got into back back from the grave and stooges i got into the studio dana was a big stooges fanatic of course we love the modern yeah. lovers velvet underground 13 four elevators you know that was the that was the stuff that got me really working yeah when i saw MC5. the day i saw mick he was getting he was getting ready to do a dj set opening for the MC, the reconstituted mc5 something there was some kind of event in new york I hear that band's really good. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I I see things that are written online that say that they're really good. Wayne Kramer huh. for apparently playing really well. He's an amazing guitarist, so it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, That's but yeah, all the, those there. kind of like where you're talking about these like these bands. I don't know if like once it gets codified into a thing, then that you can really, or like people always want to make a category or whatever. Uh, but I don't know if it really works or like something gets lost. The category for me, the category for me for that time period was I thought that those bands were like almost like a spiritual type of, um, you know, the core of what American music was, but brought to a really abstract, gnarly, really kind of appropriate, you know, decadent, uh, reflection of what America was. And that was always what I mm -hmm. wanted in my music, you know, I, that was what I, and so few people had that. Uh, people would say, oh, you know, a band like Guns N' Roses, they came up then and they were kind of doing that, but it was just yeah. completely different. You know what I'm saying? It was just didn't I, ring true I'm, to me. I'm uh, continuously baffled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, White Zombie, you know, they were, they were, yeah. doing all that stuff with monster movies and the really raw side of American culture, yeah. but it wasn't the same. You know? No, I, I'm, I'm continually amazed by the, the, the popularity of Guns N' Roses. I remember when they showed up and they were kind of fun, but I thought they were a joke band, you know, like, but apparently the joke was on me, yeah. you know, but nobody would ever hire me to be like a talent scout for anybody. I, I always have the wrong taste, you know? For music, for sure. <laughs> well, for me, I no, mean, not you, the pop you have yeah. the right taste. 
for me, those bands, the bands were, uh, uh, I couldn't believe that the bands were ignored, you know, that yeah. I loved so much, the Gun Club. They're, they're very popular yeah. now. Larry Hardy and I were just talking about it. They just keep getting more and more popular. And as you were saying, they've been kind of uh, codified and, and there's, you know, how yeah. do we explain it? We live in the internet age. Things get turned into things, you know, they become morphed. And, and that's, that's right. Yeah. You know, that, that's human experience. I mean, you might've had uh, Dostoevsky, yeah. you might've had uh, writers, you know, Nietzsche or someone like that back in 1880s were people looking at yeah. it and saying, this is incredible. No, of course they weren't, uh, not necessarily. Yeah. And now, of course, sure. William Blake. I always use William Blake as an example of a person who probably had three pictures sure. looked at his entire life, you know, and then now well, is just uh, an iconic Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, as, the most extreme example, of course, is Van Gogh, you know, sold one painting in his lifetime, and now you can get fucking yeah, toilet absolutely. paper. You know, you could wipe your ass with a Van Gogh if you wanted, you know, like... But the most incredible thing about Van Gogh to me is his paintings still have all of the power, no matter how much he's been uh, yeah. overused in so many ways. He's still his work yeah. is extremely. Powerful. Yeah, there's stuff left over. He's to me. I've, I've I've had a sort of an ambivalent relationship with Van Gogh, but for various reasons. But yeah, partly like damaged so much by what the commercialization of him. But uh. uh yeah, but, overexposure. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But when you think of his effect, when you think of his effect yeah. on uh, expressionists and expressionist painting and the stuff that I really love, you know, so much, and I just don't think any of that no, no. even existed without Van Gogh. No, I would just if you think of even in terms of his what how he changed human. No, I, I would, I would it's, never it's argue against his his place and or like his influence or anything. Uh, yeah, he was just yeah he was just uh, he he was never like a favorite for me personally. But uh, for uh, there's a a Cezanne show that just opened here in Chicago, and that that stuff is just uh -huh. like that guy changed shit. I mean, like just just before you know. Oh yeah. That was the he changed the way people type look, of thing. looked. And, uh, I mean, I you know, you know I can't conceive putting things yeah. into plane yeah. planes and then the the it's way just incredible. Uh, the use I mean, of light and so forth. And it's so ingrained into painting and in looking that like just seeing that stuff, it's it's sort of mind blowing. You just take it for granted because it's so deep in there. The stuff that he made, and he was just this weird taciturn guy who hated people and he was just like wanted to go outside and look at some mountain over and over again you know <laughs> right paint yeah. the same mountain over and over <laughs> and over again he wasn't doing this he wasn't no, doing no, the they're... same thing over yeah. and over and over again but he was finding different ways to look at yeah. it over and, and over and it, over it's again. So, it, it's so great to like you know i mean for me like i've you know i've been at it the painting and drawing a long time to be like blown away again by somebody like that doesn't happen that often <laughs> anymore you know right right well the the, the i think i've uh, spoken to you about this before but the guy that blew me away that's in sure. the chicago museum is ivan albright who i'd never heard of before <laughs> you know i went yeah. there in the early 80s when i was living there for the summer yeah. and i saw this 
this painter and i was like holy crap this guy is I, incredible i don't know i, I have a soft spot for ivan albright i, I, I probably told you my, my high school art teacher gave me a giant albright book as a graduation present which i unfortunately but I don't like one of those oversized awesome. Abrams ones that they only print like a like a like a thousand of or whatever. Uh huh. Yeah. And I, I'm I bet that thing is worth a lot of money it. now. But of course, I sold it to a bookstore when I was broke. It's it's long gone, you know. Uh, I had those uh. periodic moments when like I had to raid the the books and the records, you know. <laughs> when when times are tight. I saw that I saw mm -hmm. that painting there of the mausoleum. I I just will never forget when I first saw that painting. I just thought it was so mm -hmm. cool. And it yeah, I, I could see a kinship there. Yeah. So well, he I also did. Just, of uh, course, really... he did that painting in the Dorian Gray movie. You know the the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I love that. I love that. It, but yeah, he's a. Vi That's so yeah. awesome. I mean, I just think it's amazing yeah. that they used that painting yeah. in that movie. I was like, wow, that's great. Oh yeah, and absolutely. and perfect for it, of course. Uh, but yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, if you trace back in <laughs> art, music, whatever, like how short or how particular some of these scenes or these people, like, I mean, John Doe put out that book, like oral history of L.A. punk scene book a while ago, and everybody that that talked in it was talking about how like it lasted like like two years or something, you know, or whatever. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, Larry Hardy's the perfect yeah. example. I mean, he was he yeah. was there. I mean, he'll tell you. Yeah. You know, there wasn't anybody at most of those shows, and it, yeah. No, and then these assholes from the all, suburbs you know? came and fucking ruined it all. Now, you know, like made it into you know this macho. Well, like, that too. Macho yeah. thing, you know. At that time. And now you have the germs that are just like an iconic <laughs> symbol type of thing, you know. And of course, that was yeah. nothing like that at that time yeah these were these were outcasts and losers and people the, that I, no nobody no normal people accepted in any way yeah i mean a band that gets on my nerves even mm. though i like them are, are the ramones because i just you know google <laughs> figures out what i'm interested in and it just <laughs> slams me with article after article on the ramones i was like i really don't care that much. Yeah. I'm not one of the punk rock guys that got into punk rock because yeah. of the Ramones. I have nothing against them whatsoever. Enjoy their records. Enjoy their music. But I don't need to read well, about the Ramones. As, as somebody that's been accused of being a, a Luddite, I would counsel you to stop using Google. But, like, that's me. <laughs> use use. <laughs> it's on my phone so that when I... When yeah. I do, uh, I swipe yeah, yeah, my phone yeah. and it gives me like latest things. And well, see, it, yeah, it I don't use those phones and I don't use Google, just... but that's me. <laughs> I, I I take pains to sort of like monitor like what what comes in. <laughs> I I don't uh, I don't when I notice I'm being tracked or catered like... to that way, I, it really annoys me. So I I try to. <laughs> How many things could be written about the Ramones <laughs> at this point in time? You know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I yeah. When I was growing up, I remember like even being in high school, and some of those first stores opened up, like the Alston Beat and stuff. And I I knew that like it was you know sure. yeah. all that Alston stuff Beat, yeah. was already like merchandised. You know, it wasn't. I, I, I was like a couple of years too late, you know, for the real thing. Like I, I really liked that bookstore that was in that, uh, that little, uh, 
which building there? Which Austin Beat? Austin Beat had a few locations. No, but... I do remember the Austin Beat. Well, I'm talking about a place that mm-hmm. was on my yeah, yeah, memory yeah. of streets in Boston. Is getting real. It was in Austin. It was in an old wooden building, and you go oh, upstairs, yeah. and they had the a place Primal where they Plunge. Films, it's it's but called. They a... also had a. They Which, also, if you can go, yeah, the Primal Plunge. That guy, the guy that liked owned that, that place, that he worked place. at Nuggets. His name is Steve Swimberski, and he now has a store called Quimby's in New York. It's a, it's a ideal with. He started. He actually I moved to Chicago and started Quimby's. Then he started a family and moved to Holland and sold his store. Then, like, he moved back to the states a few years ago and started a Quimby's New York. It's in Brooklyn. It's in Williamsburg. That was a very, yeah. very cool story. Yeah, you see the cr- Oh, yeah, you saw the, the craziest movies there. Like, like stuff that wasn't shown anywhere, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was upstairs from a... Uh, and there was oh, a record yeah. store called Discovery on the ground floor. Yeah, that was my friend. He moved to New Orleans. Oh. No, it was on the second floor, the one that was... When there was I one, was maybe it was next there, door, was but like on right on that floor. block, there was a, it was a, owned by a Hispanic lady. Discovery, yeah, it was a different. Oh story. no, that that was different. Discover oh, with a K. Discovery, like, that yeah. place is great. Discovery, yeah. yeah. And then Moose, and Moose Savage oh. had his store right near. I don't know that too. Oh. Remember? Do you ever go in there? That was mm. all collectibles and frame goods and stuff like that, and he had all kinds of weird stuff in there. God, I don't remember the name of it. That's terrible. With the 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 it's been a long the time. musician the saxophone guy or no. I'm thinking about somebody else. There's another. Oh, didn't play oh. sax. He was a lead singer. Oh. He was a really eccentric, really great guy. Uh, oh, and he no, had a I don't band called one. Moose and the Mudbugs. But there was Savage. all, yeah, I mean, there was all those record stores where yeah, like, clearly like, the clerks were all in bands and stuff. Uh, there were. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, there was uh, Steve's uh, yes. Diner. Steve, uh, I'm sure was that the there. one on on Harvard Street or no uh, the the was Greek place? Yeah, next to right Music next Man to the... or music yeah, yeah, that yeah. that music store uh, like the yeah, the yeah. music instrument store. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. The, oh, there was yeah. that Steve. There was Steve's yeah. Diner. There was also Grecian Yearning, which we always called Greasy Ur- Greasy Yearner. Greasy urinal, yeah. 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 It was another. Yeah. It was a Greek, you know, greasy spoon, obviously, like a <laughs> Greek diner. Yeah, greasy urinal. Yeah, yeah. on that same block, a little, a little bit further down. I and then Bun Ratties was on I that, about that strip place. too, which got turned into some. <laughs> yeah, Grecian yearning. Grecian yearning was right on the corner of Commonwealth and Harvard, uh, right next uh, to. No, Bun it was. Rattis, it was in a. It? it was in a little bit more. Uh, there was another place on the corner too. There's something oh, on the okay. corner. Uh, yeah, that you're probably right. Oh, King's Deli. And then there was the yeah, the King's Deli. liquor store across yeah, the street King's on Deli. the corner. The big Blanchards or Arminet. Yeah. Yep. In fact, that's funny that you mentioned. It's funny that you mentioned that because the cover of our new record has David walking down oh, the street, nice. and it's like right in front of Blanchards. <laughs> wow. And it's right in that area cool. of Harvard of, uh, <laughs> on Harvard Street. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's smoking a cigarette, like looking really dejected, and there's this weird guy yeah. in the background, like looking at him, because he said he always felt like there were these weird bums that were kind of, you know, always oh, around sure. there yeah. looking at you when you walk down the street. 
and there's like yeah, there's like a billboard up above yeah uh, with some kind of alcohol ad on it or something it's, it's that's really, awesome yeah really well, cool I'll, painting I'll, I'll definitely buy an lp of that whenever that becomes available <laughs> yeah for sure yeah so yeah no cool go, thank you so much for dinner. giving me all this time but feel free <laughs> to edit this uh, down i, I probably won't it's but uh, i'll try to cut out like I'm going to go back and check the, the few times we cut out, see if I can cut those out. But I'm just oh, no. telling you, I won't be offended if you decide no, it's to funny. excise uh, yeah, anything. I, I recorded want. one yesterday with another another music guy, and he was the first one that asked to hear the audio before I posted it. So he's like concerned with what he said, you know, <laughs> I had another guy who was worried. He texted me afterwards, worried that he said some shit that was like offensive. But no, no. See, no. I won't do that. No. I just won't. I mean, do my, that. my argument no with that is like, that, you so can't be canceled if nobody's there. subscribing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <it's> a... <laughs> I just don't, especially in this environment, I yeah. don't want to get into all that stuff yeah. anyway. You know, I don't want to, I don't, we have enough of that. We have enough of yeah. it. There's no need for more of it at this point. No, it's just, fu- I'm not going to shout no. someone down or start that crap. You know, don't want to do it. Not, I wouldn't do that to you, but I mean, I, I don't want to expound on, on things. It's just yeah. not worth it at this point yeah, to me. It's bad energy. Everybody I does. do it in my private life. You got to blow, you gotta blow off steam at so, somewhere sometime. Yeah. But no, the. Oh, it's a crazy, crazy <laughs> That's world what I right now. Completely <laughs> insane. <laughs> That's what's on the news. Well, well, Tom, thanks so much. This this is great, and I'll let you know when it posts so you can share it with your millions of fans and followers on all the platforms, as we say, on TikTok, <laughs> because TikTok's really, you know, like it's primed for two-hour rambling conversations. You know, maybe we can con. Well, yeah, maybe we can condense this. Yeah, uh, we conversation can. Yeah, you can mix it down seconds. to like making it to whatever dubstep or like make it however many beats per second right to make it really hectic <laughs> i mean i this is a long yeah. conversation and i forgot what we've talked about but did, did i mention to you that king khan has the number no one i had TikTok no idea song what? in the world right now wow you know yeah it went viral it's gotten played 200 million times he has the it's really? on in the red it's a, like the a newer song TikTok song right now no, it came out in 2007, huh. but someone picked it up somewhere. And it's like this drum, drum beat intro. It goes, and it's, oh, oh really? I love you. It's like a doo-wop song. And they only, they use that first 15 seconds and people apply it to every friggin' TikTok video wow. you can imagine. So I'm wondering what the, what, what the royalties I, are going to be. I, I hope like he's that. laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, you know, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, keep in t- keep yeah. in touch, Tom. All but, right. Uh, on yeah, that. Thanks, thanks again. I will. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for having me. Bye. All right.